I want to add my welcome to that of my colleagues as I say thank you for joining us for this celebration of the most important day in the history of humanity, the day that eternity was changed forever and ever. Amen. I'm Pastor Mark Toon and delighted that you are here. I particularly want to say a thank you to our Chapel Hill regulars who moved uh, out of the middle service to here in order to make room for our guests. It's a good thing you did because the place was kind of packed out. So thank you for the effort that you made to be hospitable. We appreciate you. As you showed up, you might have seen a familiar face around here. Uh, our dear protector, Sergeant Trey of the Gig Harbor Police Department. He's our friend. We love him. We're grateful for him. And, uh, and Trey recently shared with me a, 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 an audio that I just had to pass on to you. It is a garbled account of a 911 call. Uh, a 65-year-old man has died and been delivered to the mortuary to be cremated. And they were all in for the surprise of their life. Take a listen and, and you can read the captions. Brooklyn 413. Sorry, I got the tail end of that last one. You said brought in for a cremation, but it's possibly still alive? To the funeral home in any case, yeah, 65 year old male at the supposed to be deceased, and they think he might still be alive. Fire center is not officially requesting PD at this time. Steve Lord, morning over the streets of Bobby. Tony O'Brien. I love that last line. The cop says, I don't care what you say. I'm coming to see this. This is too good to pass up. We have a 65-year-old male brought in for cremation, but they think he might still be alive. I wonder who was most surprised here. The guy who was unzipping the bag or the guy who was inside the bag when it was unzipped. I'll bet everyone's heart rate jumped a few notches on that one. But then that's what happens when someone comes back from the dead. Of course, this guy wasn't dead. They just thought he was. But 2,000 years ago, there was no doubt about that one. That guy was dead. Jesus hung from a cross for six hours until he breathed his last. And just to be sure, a guard stabbed a spear up into his heart to finish the job. There's no doubt about it at all. Jesus, that troublemaking preacher from Nazareth, Jesus was dead. Or was he? Because on that next Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene returned to find the stone that had covered the opening to Jesus' tomb had been rolled away. In her fear and astonishment, she ran to find the disciples and tell them. And Peter and John ran back through the empty streets of early morning Jerusalem. And they got to the tomb and they stooped down and looked inside. And, they were t and we are told that in that moment when they saw the empty tomb, they finally believed. 
They finally believed what Jesus had been telling them all along. That he was going to be killed, that he was going to be crucified. But three days later he said, don't worry, because God is going to raise me back up to life again. This very dead Jesus was now very, very alive. That's what we believe. That's what we celebrate this morning. And that rascal Peter finally believed it too. Even if you're not very spiritual, you probably have heard of Simon Peter. He was the brash, braggadocious disciple who led the other 12, the other 11. He, he was the disciple who promised at the Last Supper that no matter what his colleagues would do, no matter what the rest of these losers are going to do, I will never let you down, Jesus. I'll stand by you even if it means that I die with you. He bragged. Well, how'd that work out for Peter? After Jesus' arrest... In Gethsemane, Peter skulked along following him in the shadows to Caiaphas' house, the place where he was held for the night. Three times bystanders caught him and accused him of being one of Jesus' disciples. And three times he denied it vehemently, even profanely. And after that third denial, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing on the other side of the courtyard, staring right into his soul. And Peter was so devastated that we read he ran out brokenhearted and wept. So on that Easter morning, when he ran through the streets of Jerusalem to the empty tomb of Jesus and saw the evidence with his own eyes, he must have experienced a conflict of emotions. On the one hand, obviously, as one who loved Jesus, he would celebrate it. Jesus is alive. This is the greatest miracle that has ever occurred. Nothing will ever be the same again. That's amazing. And then on the other hand, he thought, oh, man, Jesus is alive. And I betrayed him. I denied him. I ran away from him. How can I ever look him in the face again? Have you ever done something that made you so ashamed that you just wanted to hide? I have. I did things as a young man that I've always regretted. If you knew what they were, you might not want me to be your pastor. But then if I knew your stuff, I might not want to be your pastor. So, there. We're even. We all have closets, don't we, that are stuffed full of shameful memories. And we'd do anything to keep those closets shut and locked. And that was Peter. Only now his closet door had been jerked open. And his moment of greatest shame, which he had hoped was buried with Jesus, was now out in the open. And he could hardly stand it. He knew he'd have to face Jesus and he was dreading that conversation. And so he did what was very familiar to him. He went fishing. He went fishing. That was his profession before Jesus called him. And, and he decided to go back to his boat and went fishing. Maybe the reason he did it also was to avoid that dreadful, inevitable conversation that he knew he was going to have to have with Jesus. But it was futile, wasn't it? Because Jesus came looking for him. Jesus always comes looking for us, even when we are ashamed of ourselves. Especially when we are ashamed of ourselves. When Peter returned to shore after a night of fruitless fishing, the now resurrected Jesus was waiting for him. Sitting on the shore, he'd built a fire, he'd made them breakfast. 
It is really one of the sweetest scenes in the gospel. And I want to share that with you from John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep and follow me. It was a beautiful setting on the early morning coastline of the Galilee and Jesus having made breakfast for them, he takes Peter aside and three times he asks him if he loves him. You say, well, why would he ask him three times? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Because three times Peter had denied him. And so Jesus asked the question, one for every denial. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus asked. Yes, 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 Peter replied. But you begin to sense his frustration, don't you? The third time Jesus asked him the question, we are told, John tells us that Peter was grieved. He was grieved. How many times was he going to have to repeat himself? He, he was grateful, of course, to be reconciled with Jesus, I'm sure, but he was squirming under Jesus' unrelenting attention. He didn't like the spotlight, and we know that that's true because suddenly he tries to change the subject. Listen to the next few verses. Peter turned and saw the disciple, John, following them. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. Maybe John was jealous of Peter. It wouldn't be the first time that John was jealous of Peter. Maybe he wanted some alone time with Jesus too. And so as Jesus and Peter were walking along talking, John was trailing along behind and suddenly Peter notices him. And he's kind of relieved, I think. It is not easy bearing up under the scrutiny of Jesus questioning and his peering into your soul. He knows everything you've done, every way that you've failed him. And after answering the same exact question the same way three times, Peter must have been just emotionally and spiritually exhausted. And then he notices a way out. He sees John. He will distract Jesus. That's his plan. So he says, Lord, what about this man? In other words, let's stop talking about my stuff, Jesus. Let's talk about someone else for a while. How about John? Let's talk about John's stuff. What about him? And Jesus' reply fascinates me. He says, what is that to you? What is that to you? It's a bit of a rebuke, actually. Jesus says, what is that to you, nosy Nelly? 
It's none of your business. My plans for John are my plans. What he believes, what he does, how he lives, how he dies. What is that to you? It's none of your beeswax. And then John offers, uh, Jesus offers this simple, personal, three-word challenge to Peter. He says, you follow me. You don't need to worry about my plans for John. What is that to you? There's only one person you need to concern yourself with, and that is you. You, Simon Peter. So, you follow me. There could not be a more appropriate question for an Easter Sunday morning, and this is why. Easter is a coattail Sunday. People who don't ordinarily come to church come on Easter. They know it's a special day, even though they may not quite believe it. But even, even if you wouldn't come on any other day of the year, for the sake of others, here you are. For the sake of a mom who believes. For the sake of a wife who believes. Or a husband. For the sake of the kids who are bugging you to take them to church with their friends. And I'm sure that here, there are here people this morning who are riding on someone else's spiritual coattails. You aren't really very religious. You're not even sure whether you believe this stuff. But for the sake of your family, for the sake of those who are most dear, you are willing to come to church on Easter. And could I just say, bravo. Good for you. It says a lot about you that your family is so important that you're willing to put up with something that might be a little uncomfortable or unfamiliar or about which you may not even be sure you believe. For the sake of your loved ones, you are here. And I say to you, Good job. But you can only stay on someone else's spiritual coattails so long. There, there comes a moment when you, you've got to strike out on your own. You can only let mom be the spiritual one so long. You can only let your wife take the lead on religious things. You can only let grandpa and grandma carry your spiritual water for so long. It's it's easy for us to do what Peter did, to point to someone else and try to divert Jesus' attention away from you by sticking your nose into someone else's spiritual business. What about my wife, Lord? What about my husband, Lord? Look, no, notice my kids. Notice how faithful and believing my mom and my dad are, how they are religious, how faithful they are. Look at them, Jesus. Look at them, and please stop looking at me. I think that's what Peter did that morning. What about John, Jesus? What about anyone but me? It was the great distraction. And how does Jesus respond to our spiritual head fakes? He says, what is that to you? He said, don't try to distract me. Don't try to divert my attention. You can't do it. My eyes are on you. My focus is on you. I'm talking to you right now. I'm delighted that she's delighted to be here. <laughs> and it's none of your business what they believe or if they believe. I'm interested in the one person you can actually do something about. And that is yourself. So stop trying to change the subject. My one question to you this morning is, will you follow me? You, not someone else. Will you follow me? Christianity is a faith that is lived in community. Over the last two years, 500 of our sheep slipped away during 
COVID. And I won't be content until every single one of them has been brought back. And if that is you, by the way, for the first time, welcome home. It is so good to have you back. We've, we've missed you. Christianity is faith lived in community, but it always starts with the individual. Every single one of us must decide what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about Easter and the empty tomb, whether we think it's real or not. You cannot hide in the pew. You cannot hide in the Easter crowds because Jesus sees you. His eyes are firmly set on you alone. And as he said to Peter, I think Jesus says to you, stop pointing to others. Stop trying to distract me. I'm not interested in what you think about someone else and what they believe. What is that to you? I'm interested in one thing. Will you follow me? And if you will, and here's the payoff, Jesus says, I will forgive you, and I will fill you, and I will empower you, and I will flood you with a peace like you have never known. If you will follow me, I will lead you into a life of purpose. If you follow me, I will help you conquer your destructive habits and hurts and the broken relationships. I will heal them. And I will move you past your shame. That's what I'll do for you. If you have the courage to focus on you and not on everyone else around you, that's what I'll do for you this Easter morning. That's what Jesus says. Will you follow me? Last Thursday, I sat down with a man that I've never met. Life had taken a hard turn for him, and despite always being a pretty self-reliant person who depended upon himself, he just found he could not do it anymore, and he needed help. He had just spoken to a Christian woman who spoke of her faith, her faith that was so strong that it stirred him, it inspired him. But he didn't know where to begin. He knew nothing about faith or who to have faith in. And so, bless his heart, he decided to do something about it. And he just started calling churches in this town until he could get an appointment with a pastor. And I was the guy. And so I sat down with him and I listened to his story and, and his hurt. And I decided to share with him Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, the one that you heard sung of only moments ago, homecoming. I told him how this boy had wasted his inheritance, and finally in his shame and desperation, he crawled back home, hoping that his dad might have mercy on him and, and at least give him a, a meal and a cot. And so he makes his way back, and his speech is all memorized, but his father sees him in the distance, and before the boy can even say a word, his father runs to him and throws his arms around him and weeps for joy at the return of his son. He gives him his ring, he gives him his cloak, he gives him his sandals, and he throws the biggest party that town had ever seen because this lost son of his had come home. And I told this man, that is how God feels about you. No matter what you have done, no matter what your past might hold, He loves you. And He is eager to welcome His Son home. The man said he would like that, but he didn't know how to. He didn't know how to pray. He'd never prayed before. I said, I can help you with that. And so we prayed, and with tears streaming down his face, my new friend asked Jesus to take control of his life. And next Wednesday, he's coming to Alpha.
to find out what it means to follow Jesus his whole life. It's a great story. It's a story that you heard told. Yeah. I got to say, I'm glad I took that appointment. It's a sweet story. It's a story like Travis told. Amazing how Jesus takes broken people, transforms them, and welcomes them home. And I wonder, could that be you this morning? This morning, could you be one who has been up to now kind of riding on someone else's spiritual coattails? Could this be the day when Jesus says, stop it? I don't care what you think about anyone around you. What do you think about? Will you follow me? And it is the question of the lifetime, isn't it? It's the question of eternity. Now, if you don't believe this stuff, if you don't believe that Jesus really came back to life, well, then that's a problem because we kind of stake our, our very lives on that. We believe it to be absolutely true. If, if not, for you, it might just seem like a bunch of pretty smoke and mirrors. But if you do believe it, even if you want to believe it but need help, the great news is, is the risen Jesus is ready to meet you and to begin a relationship with you that will change forever. This morning, He is here by His Spirit, and He asks you, will you follow me? I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads, please. Even if you're not a very religious person, as a courtesy to those around you, I'd ask you to do that. Like my friend this week, he said, I, I would love this, but I don't know how to do it. And it begins with a simple prayer. And I would love to lead you in that prayer. The prayer starts, it's three little words, sorry, thanks, and please. Sorry, thanks, and please. Sorry, Father, that I have run away from you. Sorry that I have disappointed you and broken your heart. Thanks for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. Thank you that he rose to new life, that he has conquered the greatest enemy of all, death, and so offers me life. And so please, Holy Spirit, would you give that to me? Would you come into my life? Would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me peace? If you feel like you have been riding on someone else's spiritual coattails, depending upon your mom or your dad or your spouse or your grandparents or your friend, well, maybe this is the moment when you say it's time to step out, when you listen to the question of Jesus, when he says, so what's that to you? Will you follow me? And if you would say, yes, I'm ready for that, then I want you to pray this prayer after me, just silently in your own heart. Dear God, I'm sorry for the way that I have lived. I'm sorry that I have gone my own way. I'm sorry that I've broken your heart, broken your laws. Thank you that you sent Jesus to save me. And thank you that he rose again to new life that I might have hope that he is real. Please, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Clean me. Empower me. Give me peace. With every head still bowed, every eye still shut, 
I would ask you, is there anyone here today who prayed that prayer like my friend did, prayed that prayer for the first time? If so, as a testimony to what you have done this day, as kind of a putting your flag in the, in the ground in this moment, I just ask you to raise your hand right now so that I can see it and acknowledge it. You can look at me if you did that. I thank you. I see you, sweetheart. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Both adults and kids are raising their hands. I see you. Thank you. I see you, guys. I see you. I see you, sweetie. I see you in the corner. I see you up there in the balcony. That's so wonderful. I see you over here. Good to see Thank you. Lord, you see these hands, I think the most that we've had all morning, people who've said, yes, I want to follow you. And so for that, we thank you. Now, would you make good on your promise? Holy Spirit, would you come into their lives, wash them, make them new, and teach them what it means to follow Jesus for the rest of their life and for all of eternity. For we pray it in his matchless name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.